to Sugar Coated. I'm your host, Adrian Garland, the CEO and founder of She Leads Media. For far too long, women have been conditioned to sugarcoat their words, their actions, and the way they show up in the world, and to conform to certain cultural norms and ideals. This is inherently designed to keep those who are outside of the norm from gaining power, prestige, wealth, and influence, preventing more women from being recognized and respected as the powerful leaders that we truly are. Join me each week as we dive into raw conversations with remarkable, uncompromising, and inspirational women that will encourage you to strip away your sugar coating and move boldly in the direction of your magnificent dreams. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the next episode of Sugar Coated. I'm your host, Adrian Garland, and I am joined today by somebody that I cannot wait to dive into conversation with. Her name is Jennifer Sapel, and she's from Utor Wealth. Welcome to Sugar Coated, Jennifer. Oh, thank you so much, Adrian. I'm thrilled to be here. I am so excited to talk to you today. Over the past couple of weeks, I've been talking to different women that are in the world of finance, and we're all sort of looking at finance from all these different angles, real estate investment, alternative investments. And I I love what we are going to talk about today. And it sort of like struck me, right? Like what if the way that we invested today was different than previous generations? And could we do better? So that is the question that I kick off with you today. <laughs> uh, yes and yes <laughs> are awesome. the answers. Yeah. All right, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I'm in my 40s now. And recently I became a caregiver to my autistic niece. And for me, the intersection of those two things really got me to a point where I was like, wait a minute, why do we do anything? Like, why do we do anything the way we do things? Mm. Oh, God. (laughs) And it really, it really comes down to like, at some point in history, somebody made something up. And then like, we've just like, that's the system. And so we just go along with the system until something comes along and changes the system. So investing Mm. is no different. I often talk about investing as like the tale of two rich white guys because S&P, if you've heard of like the benchmark S&P 500, Standard and Poor were the last names of two rich white guys. And that's Mm -hmm. why we have the S&P 500 today. They decided we need something to measure against. And so the two guys decided what Mm -hmm. 500 stocks they were going to put into this grouping and track their performance over time. So when you approach it with that lens, it's like, wait a minute, we've just been doing this way because two guys decided a long time ago, like, do we have to do these things moving forward? And the answer is no. Mm. (laughs) The answer is no. So that's like the, that's one answer to your question. (laughs) What, like, okay, hit me. Like, that was so good and very unexpected. I... I, I feel like I could go down a totally divergent path with you. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to kind of like relish in the fact that just because things have been done like this before doesn't mean that we have to keep on this path. That statement has huge ramifications for everything. Yeah. Everything. 
Yeah. And we have the choice. And if we as women can build our wealth, then we can also make choices that benefit us. I do what I do because I believe with every fiber of my being that when women have more wealth, we will have a healthier earth. Agreed. Period. And like full stop, end of story. When women have more wealth and in the world that we have created, again, somewhere along the way, people made decisions and and we're on this trajectory that we're on now. The power and the resources around the power has been held for too long in a very narrow group of people. And we know there's evidence, like measurable evidence, that when you give a woman a dollar in a in an economy versus when you give a man a dollar in an economy, how much of that stays within the community, how much of it goes towards children and education and healthcare, again, like just taking care of humanity in general. There's lots of evidence that backs this, you know, my belief and my my being <laughs> yep. up. And so I do think when we get comfortable with believing that we are worthy of wealth, when we just start to take our agency and say, every single dollar that crosses any account of mine in this world is part of what is building what we see around us today and building the future that we want for ourselves and for future generations. Every dollar is fueling that. So when we just take that agency and whatever that means for you, it doesn't have to mean the same for all of us. But when we take that agency, again, I truly believe the whole, the world will be a better place. I feel like that's the only message that we need to be putting out into the world. Like like you are speaking my language. So can we be besties? Like if you love that. We are already besties. Yeah. Right here, it started. <laughs> okay, I, I'm in my mind. I'm like, she's my sister from another sister. <laughs> I mean, I'm down. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, like I'm, I'm floored and speechless, which is like not. You have a podcast for You're me. Not to be speechless. <laughs> and we could, but we could. Like that's the message, and I think the thing that that is challenging is the how. We could spend the rest of our time yes. talking about the how. Yeah. And you know what? That's exactly where I was going to go. I was going to say, Jen, yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes, I am on board. Like, how do we get on that bus? How do we like pick the stops and decide where we're going? I love it. All right. So I like to start with, <laughs> you, you have this podcast, right? Because <laughs> you want to unsugarcoat things, right? Yeah, yeah. There's been studies that show people would rather talk about death than money. <laughs> so we need to start by talking, talking about money. And I love just to give people permission, like anybody who's listening today who has any kind of discomfort around money, I want to tell you that's fine. It's perfectly okay. I have the luxury of having little kids. I have uh, one that just turned three and, and one that's about to turn five. And what's humbling, yeah, they're starting to get to really fun ages. <laughs> they're starting to get to less, you know, less like hands-on all the time, a little more autonomy. But what's so humbling about that is to see and have a constant reminder every day that things we take for granted, like using a fork, 
that all of us at some point did not know how to use a fork. We, and we were all terrible at it. We didn't know how to hold it. Like when we would bring food up to our mouths, we, it would spill everywhere. And we totally take that for granted that when you learn new skills, you're not good at them Yeah. in the beginning. And that's normal and that's perfectly acceptable. So if you think of harnessing your financial power, if you feel like you're not good at it today, congratulations, you're normal. <laughs> you're a beginner. <laughs> yep. And that's okay. And then I like to break down like really being good with money comes down to five skill sets. One is earning money. So earning and creating wealth is, is a set of skill sets in and of themselves. Being able to save money, accumulate money is a skill set in and of itself. Investing is a skill set in and of itself. Giving with joy and not out of obligation is a skill set in and of itself. And spending. So I like to break it down into those five skill sets. And we say, you can read about it all you want. You can learn about them all you want. You're not going to be good at a skill set until you actually do it. So we think about like, you could read about using a fork. You could read about driving a car. You could read about sailing. You're not going to get good at any of those things until you actually just step in and do them. So I'll pause there. I like to start with like, you can do it. Here are the five skill sets. And then within each of those skill sets, I've got like, you know, a tactical how. I love it. Yes, those five strategies are so important. And I I, I wanted to almost just address because I, I, I love how we're talking about like we need to be talking about money. And before we even get into these strategies, I think we also need to somehow get the conversations about money and, and women talking about money into the the world. Yes, this podcast is a way to do it. We also need to bring it up. And if someone is uncomfortable, we have to almost hold their hand and say, it's okay to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. And then we can move into some of these other things because I, I've said this on the show before, you know, I was in the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program, and it was all women. I was in the Tory Birch cohort, which was just so wonderful. But when we got to the section on finance, there was a lot of shame that came yeah. up. People were yeah. crying. Yeah. And, you know, it shouldn't be like that. The You know, money, yes, it has an impact on us. But at the end of the day, it's numbers and it's a concept. Yep. Yeah. Right. And so I, <laughs> before we can even get here to earning, we have to just say, even though we get paid to do things, we can't make money be our value as human beings. Amen, bestie. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. And I and and here's what I'll like, here's what I'll say in that, you know, in that same light of like vulnerability and shame and all of that stuff. You know, I got into the careers financial services because I watched my mom struggle post-divorce and money was like a crazy stressful um, subject in our house growing up. And we didn't, we oftentimes didn't have enough. And she, you know, moved into her parents' rental property so that she could live rent-free for a period of time. And, you know, like I said, and she struggled. So I, in my twenties and thirties, went the extreme other opposite. I was like, I'm going to conquer it. I'm going <laughs> to know everything I can about it. And it's only taken me in the last couple of years to really get my head around decoupling the shame from the financial conversations. And so, yeah, you hit the nail on the head that 
because we live in a productivity driven, you know, capitalist profitability first. And again, we know this, the evidence to this is that in the in the US economy, the largest sector is the financial services sector. Like it's mm-hmm. the biggest sector of the economy. So we've you know, I think money is a measuring stick. You called it a concept. I agree. All of those things, it's a concept, it's uh, energy, it's an idea. There is enough. Mm-hmm. But when you when you look at it like a measuring stick and you say, okay, well, what does the US economy value? It's number one on the list. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. again, normal to feel that way. And we can just decide, like like we started this podcast, we can just decide, I'm going to opt out. I'm going to opt out of that system. I'm not going to tie my self-worth as a human being to the balance of any account of mine, to my net worth, to like anything around this construct of, of finance. Yeah. Yeah. That's like step one for your own mental health. And then let's get to the business of making money because it, it really is in a lot of ways a game. It is a hundred percent a game, and that's like, <laughs> and it's hard. It's a hard realization to have when there are people, you know, right now who, without it, are their lives are literally in danger, right? Because yeah, yeah. they don't have uh, money in their account for medical expenses, for housing, right, for whatever the case is. Yeah. But if you're listening to this podcast, hopefully and probably not in that position, yes, embrace earning as much money as possible. It doesn't have to make you a bad person. <laughs> yeah. There's no like qualitative, you know, thing around it that like you could earn a ton of money and be a really beautiful human being. You could earn a ton of money and be a really bad human being. So we need to decouple the idea that because you earn a lot of money, it like automatically makes you a bad person. Yeah. yeah. The, the, this I feel like this whole conversation is just so important. So for the women that are are listening, and it's majority women, although I do have some guy friends that are hopefully listening, how can we kind of like get to a place where we're focused on that first strategy, earning, right? We all know that women only earn 81 cents to the dollar. And if you are in any other uh, BIPOC category, it's even worse. So how can we kind of maximize our earning potential? Great question. So I think the starting point to optimizing or maximizing is always being grounded in where you are. If you don't know like whether or not you're getting paid market rate for your skill set and experience set, like that's the place to start. So start looking, I mean, even just Google, whatever the job is, like, you know, marketing professional, brand professional for corporation. Google your occupation, look at Glassdoor, look at some other resources and be like, okay, am I getting paid market rate for this work I'm doing for someone else? Uh, same if you're self-employed, like what is, what's market rate for this skill set? Once you know, then it's like, if you're at a company, if you're a W-2 employee, you're getting paid a paycheck and you're not getting paid market rate, then the next thing is to ask for market rate. And there's a whole, again, that's a whole nother set of skills to be able to ask for what you're worth. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some way better resources out there for this. And maybe you know know of some, Adrian, and I might have to get back to you with. There's one in particular I'm thinking of, but her name is not coming to mind. Okay. Yeah, there's a ton of resources out there. Even yeah. Jen, Jen Sincero, which is... Um, mm-hmm. uh, oh, badass. You are a ba- badass. Yeah, you are yes. a badass with money. Yes. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, there's one. Oh, it's going to kill me. I'm sure it'll like as soon as we are finished with our podcast, I'll come up, but I'll email it to you. Okay. She's great. She's got, and she's got some free guides on like, there's a very specific way to ask for what you're worth at work. Mm. Mm. And then same, same if you're self-employed to make sure that you're not underselling. I think for those of us women who are self-employed, it's really easy to go to price as the first thing that we start to negotiate when we're working with people. Um, and I'll tell you, like, uh, gamify it for yourself. Ask for three times what you've asked for before and you'll be shocked. <laughs> yeah. You'll be shocked at how many people say yes, how many people just because you put a higher value on your services, they also put a higher value on your services. Yep. And so you just start to engage with more fun. There is so much to be said for, you know, asking for so much more than you even think that you're worth because it, it just, it helps you to, to grow your business. And you need that extra cash in order to then operate your business in a way that isn't kind of killing yourself, right? So you can hire somebody, yep. right? So you can yep. get help so that you can grow your business because this is another thing that affects women. You know, I don't even know what the statistics are, but it it's a very small percentage of women that even get past the million dollar mark in their business. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And the societal expectation for women is that we're constantly in service to, to other people. So that is how we obtain worth, right? We are worthy in society when we are taking care of somebody else. Mm. And we bring that baggage into business and I totally agree with you. Ask for more. What is like, what is the super health? What's the healthiest my business could be? Yeah. And think of it in terms of like just financial self-care and financial health. And even, even I made a change in my practice about a year and a half ago where I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to limit how many clients I onboard every month where mm -hmm. I like never considered doing that before. But I'm like, I am going to do it because I don't, I don't want to have months where I'm like super crazy busy and my schedule with my kids change and then months where I want a more even workload. And like, I wanted that for me. So I'm like, why? It's my business. Why don't I just do it? And I did. And again, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've, it's one of those changes. Like I've never been happier or healthier about it. It's amazing. And and that goes right back to where we started. Like you made a choice to decide this is how I want to do it. And then guess what? You You brought that into being, which if anything else, anybody who's listening, use that as inspiration, right? You can make the choice to do things the way that you want to do it. And maybe it doesn't always work out, but if you don't try, you're never going to know. Yeah, totally agree. Gosh. All right. So we can earn, we can go in there, we can ask for what we're worth. We can also, if someone doesn't think that we're worth it, we can go somewhere else. We don't need to be proving ourselves to people that won't pay us our, our worth. It's, you know, thank you. You're not for me. Move on. Right. So let's say we, we get to that place where we're, we're comfortable about what we're earning. The next thing on the list is how do we save strategically? Yes. And my favorite thing here is just like put in a mechanism, like automate it. <laughs> Savings, pay Pay yourself first. My favorite, 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 favorite mechanism, especially if you're, I guess it's true either way. There's lots of financial gurus who say, pay yourself first. 
But when it comes to mechanizing that pay yourself first, what usually happens is our income gets deposited into our checking accounts. And then you're like, okay, now I'm going to shift some of this from checking into savings. And my favorite mechanism to change is flip that script, put 100% of your earnings into savings, Mm. and then only shift out of savings into your checking account what you want to spend every month. Mm. Love it. What that does, if you're an employee, what that does is it put it automatically makes any cost of living increase you get or any like extra bonus, it makes the default to save it instead of getting dropped into checking and then getting spent. That's and even if you understand, yeah, I, 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 I've never heard that even. <laughs> I know it's one of those simple, like really simple things that I'm like, I don't know why this isn't everywhere. So let's make it everywhere. <laughs> yeah, let's make the choice to make it everywhere. You know, yeah. there and there are some tools that I use to do this automatic. It's not so much on the saving side; it's on the next one, the investing side. Mm-hmm. I use automation to invest, love and I it. love it because you just don't even think about what you're doing, and then all of a sudden you open an app like Stash, which is what I use. They are not supporting the show, but they should. Um, <laughs> I opened the stash and I got some cash in my stash that I didn't even, you know, feel. Right, right. Amazing. I do love that. And I love for a lot of my clients who do this, like the if if 100% of the paycheck goes into savings and then we're, we're saying, you know, so let's, let's say 5,000 is your paycheck. It goes into savings and you spend... Here's the other thing that I would I would caution or like encourage people to do is go with like the least painful, like lowest, lowest goal first. Like, let's not try to go from couch to marathon. Like, let's let's do the couch to like walking around the block. Yes. So if savings is brand new and 5000 is your paycheck and you're used to living paycheck to paycheck, then 5000 goes into savings and $4,999 goes into checking. Even if you're just saving that $1, Mm. you've just gave your brain evidence that you are a saver. Oh, so good. That's so good. As you were talking, I was thinking it's it's muscle memory, right? It's like you you just do it and then it becomes automatic. And I love the fact, even if it's a dollar, it's a dollar more than you would have saved otherwise. Yep. And you can stop telling yourself, I'm not good at savings. And you can start telling yourself, I am a saver. Yeah. This is so important too. I mean, I feel like this conversation is covering like everything that not just for, you know, finance and investing and, and wealth, but also life. So if you tell yourself something, I'm not a saver, I'm not an exerciser, I'm, I don't know how to make money, then guess what? You're going to find evidence to prove you right. And this is the worst thing that we do to ourselves. I totally agree. That's the thing that needs to be corrected. Yeah. The stories we tell ourselves. Yeah. I I pay a lot in therapy. Yeah. Right. This is a whole other conversation, but I do love the fact that, you know, I am a saver and then you have, you, you literally have you know, numerical evidence and yeah. something that you can look at that goes beyond like, oh, I'm an exerciser. I, so that it may, it does make it more tangible. Yes. So I, I love it. Okay. So saving. I would love that. 
Go ahead. I would love it for all your listeners, right? If if your listeners from this podcast, they walked away with like, I am a saver. Even if it's $1 a month, you're high-fiving yourself in the mirror every month. Be like, I can do this. I am capable. I am worth it. I am a saver. Look at this yep. habit. I've changed already. Yeah. Um, oh, and then so just good. put themselves on a new trajectory. I love it. So, okay. So we're automating our savings. We're, we're changing our, our identity to be savers. And then I think we also need to change our identity and then become investors. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> we have to invest. So accumulating wealth, savings is accumulating wealth, right? You generated it or you earned it when, when you traded, right? Work or expertise for money. Saving it is accumulating it getting that accumulation to also work for you, that's investing. And yes, you have to do it. <laughs> yeah, you have to do it. Accumulating wealth is a skill set. And it's a great skill set investing, arguably a more important skill set. So what is the simplest, most easy to understand way to invest? So here's my like, here's my how to hack for that. The first decision is to decide your methodology. So like, yes, I'm going to invest. And then you just ask, what's the easiest way to invest? So the easiest thing is to, to first make that first decision. And the first decision is you have three choices when it comes to investing. You can do it yourself. And what that means is you're opening your own account. You're choosing the investments that you're going to invest in. You're choosing when to buy them and when to sell them and all that fun stuff. That is one option. A do-it-yourself option is an option. The next option is to hire a professional. So like, let's just like, I don't want to do it myself. And I'll tell you, honestly, the only people who do it themselves are the people who have interest in investing. So people who like to read financial articles and who like to follow any kind of stock prices or market movement, if you like that stuff, then you might be a DIYer. If you don't like that stuff, don't do it. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't be a DIYer. I like that's like, you know, kind of like, here's your sign. So the next option is a higher professional. A lot of professionals have account minimums, not all of them. So you could find a professional that even if you're investing $100 a month, a professional will help you. And mm -hmm. that's just one of the questions to ask. And you don't have to have any shame. Like, look, I want to get started in investing. I can only invest $100 a month. Um, you know, is that a possibility, you know, in working with you? And the answer is either yes or no, right? And you can ask that of enough professionals and you might find one or two that will work with you or, or three or four that you could interview and decide who's the best fit for you. And then the third is a hybrid. So the third is like kind of like having a professional and kind of like doing it yourself. In the world of finance, those are often called robo-advisors. So their services like Betterment, Wealthfront, or Elvest. Like all three of those are like kind of a hybrid option. And those are cool. Because you go online and you fill out a questionnaire and you say, like, I want to invest $100 a month. They're going to ask you a bunch of questions about what would you do if this happened? How do you feel about this? And through the end of your questionnaire, they're going to arrive at, great, this is the portfolio we recommend for you. And you were like, great, yes, let's do it. Hmm. This is so great because it, it makes it nice and easy. And I, I think that if people... There's a little bit of like, okay, but if I don't know what I don't know, I'm afraid to, you know, hire an investor because what happens if they, even if it's a hundred dollars, like what happens if they take my money <laughs> or lose it? Yeah. Or like, I don't even know what they're investing it in. Right. I have a guide. <laughs> so, oh, I have a guide, a free guide. It's like find, finding the right financial advisor for you. Beautiful. That would, that would answer 
most of those questions for you. So like in the guide I have, here's a five-step process. Here are the questions to ask the financial advisor where you can look up, like, is this advisor, like, do they have customer complaints against them or even like, you know, criminal background. But for the most part, you know, like working with a professional advisor is a lot like working with a bank. It is a very heavily regulated industry. And particularly today, while we're in the midst of Silicon Valley Bank, you know, Mm -hmm. failing, nothing is risk-free, right? Banking isn't risk-free. Working with an advisor isn't risk-free. So yes, there is risk. There's risk to everything. So all of you walking out the door. Yep. There's risk to keeping your money in a bank account. There's risk to putting the money under the mattress. There's risk to any investment you make. Like all of them have risks. So having the expectation that you can do something risk-free, I think is something that we could, we can just eliminate. And then it's a matter of just managing the risk. So all the questions you just asked, Adrian, amazing questions to ask the advisor. And if you don't get answers that satisfy your answers, then work with a different advisor. Yeah, right. And if you don't, this is also goes back to trusting yourself. If you feel like you're being spoken down to, if you feel like they're talking too fast and you're not getting it, then that's not the right person for you. And you have the authority to move on because even if it is $100, it's your $100. Yep. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And I have that, that part of that is in my book. We would never accept that in the medical field, right? If a doctor was telling me, I'm going to do a surgery on you, but I can't really explain the surgery in a way that makes you feel comfortable with it, you would not, right? Like, no, you're not cutting open my body for that. (laughs) Same. Like, I'm not handing over my $100 for that. (laughs) I actually want to take a tiny bit of a step outside of, of this because I do know that you've also, in your practice, created fund. And can you just talk a little bit about the the fund? It's a gender lens investment fund. Can you talk about that and why you started it and all of this kind of stuff? Because I think that, I think it's so important what you're doing. Awesome. Uh, Sure. Of course. I'd love to talk about that. So I have a client who really was like, their entire ethos, similar to mine, is we want to close the wealth equality gap. And the way that she puts every dollar of hers into the world is to that end, right? Like where she banks, where she is investing in. uh, She's also a venture capitalist. She's also a a successful um, startup founder. She's putting all of her resources to work to help close the wealth equality gap. And she's like, when it comes to investing in the stock market, what are our options? So that's kind of where the conversation started. We looked around at options and didn't find anything that we really loved. So we're like, okay, I guess we're building it. (laughs) It's it's kind of a theme. (laughs) (laughs) So what we did is we, it is a, uh, a U.S. strategy. You know, the United States accounts for, you know, between 50 and 60% of the global publicly traded uh, companies. So we started there because it's the largest market. It's most of everybody's kind of core investment strategy. And we decided to make it a like just broad. There's only 5,000 publicly traded U.S. Uh, stocks. So we're like, okay, we want the best of these 5,000 stocks. And we're going to take our entire same philosophy when it comes to investing. We're going to examine, you know, is it a good company? Do their, you know, are there, is their balance sheet and their cash flow look good? All of the same factors we would normally use to analyze a good investment and add on top of it, how diverse is the company? How diverse is the C-suite? How diverse is the board of directors? How 
uh, diverse is the executive management team. Uh, that data in the U.S. is readily available. There's a lot more data that I would love to be more readily available mm. that is available in the European Union and now is available in Japan. So the U.S. Mm. is kind of lagging in transparency. Mm. <laughs> but we used we used as many factors as we could find around, is this company diverse in its representation? And does this company have a diverse culture? And things that we looked at there are like, do they require a arbitration clause in their employment contract, which says, if you're sexually harassed, you cannot sue, you can't take the company to court, you have to settle through arbitration, you know, mm -hmm. just as an example. So we took all the same factors and then narrowed it down. Our strategy when compared to, you know, the broader U.S. market has double the number of women CEOs, has double the number of women in executive leadership. It has 30% more women on the board of directors. Um, and then, like I said, it has as many things that we could find that have evidence within the company of a diverse strategy. Our theory of change is that a diverse company performs better. There's lots of data that proves that. The more diverse your team is, the better decision-making they have, the more innovative they are, the more profitable the company is. Um, so there's lots of evidence to support that. So we just, our investment strategy is we're getting higher quality companies. And mm, right. our expectation is uh, compared to peer portfolios that aren't looking for this kind of quality factor, why wouldn't it outperform? Mm. God, this is so good. I have like at least three questions. <laughs> <laughs> Fire away. <laughs> First, just this, just out of curiosity, I'm, you know, I'm listening and, you know, does it do this? Does it do that? Is it this? Is that? And I said to myself, what did we end up with three companies? How many companies, if, if you're able to reveal that, like how many companies almost fit that criteria out of that 5,000? That's a good question. It's really sad, actually. I mean, to have a good stock portfolio, you know, different different portfolio managers will give you different numbers. But like on the low end, people will say you have to have at least 30 holdings. Um, I think the average is closer to 60. And then there's some strategies that go up to like 80 names. Mm -hmm. uh, we have about 60 in our portfolio. Mm. And not all of them, you know, meet a lot of the criteria. It's really like, you know, what we found is they're there would be like really good representation in the board of directors and really good representation in the board of directors is like 30 or 40% women. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. So they could have really good representation in the board of directors, but then really terrible representation in the executive leadership team. We would find that they might have a female CEO, but then again, there's like no representation anywhere else. So it was really, it was really interesting. Yeah. The, the things that we found. Yeah, yeah. I can only imagine. And I do love how you started with this idea of let's look at this through like a diversity lens, but actually it's, it's not about diversity. It's about company performance because there is diversity of thought. Yep. Yeah. And it's like, so forget about diversity. You're looking for the best companies. And it yes. turns out that the best companies are the most diverse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. We like that. Our theory of change is exactly that. Like it states a better, a more diverse company is a higher quality company. 
Mm. Higher quality companies perform better, which both means like higher profitability and better risk management. Mm. And and we hear this so much when we hear about companies that, I'll just use women for an example, you know, companies that are led by women or when you give women money within companies, that the, the way that they spend it is much more conservative. They perform better. Profitability is better. Like all of the measures of success when women are, you know, part of the executive management team, the, the companies do perform better. Yep. They just do. Now- They do. I read- And, and, and measurably better. Measurably, like, Yeah. Like Gosh. McKinsey's been McKinsey's been tracking diversity and performance. They've published like four reports now. And so their latest report will show you like over time how big the gap is becoming. For mm-hmm. gender, a more gender diverse executive team, the top quartile companies outperform the bottom quartile companies by 25%-ish. Wow. In ethnicity, in diversity and ethnicity, it's actually higher. With ethnicity diversity... For the last three papers, it's been hovering in like the 35% outperformance range. So it isn't just, and we do, like we call it diversity. It isn't just gender and any intersection of diversity. Because again, if you think of it in like, you know, environmental terms or in like our, in like healthy eating, right? Like if you only eat one food item, you're not going to be as healthy as if you have a diverse intake, right? <laughs> the rainbow, right? The rainbow yeah. of, of colors on your plate. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it only makes sense, right? Take a, take a chapter out of the book of nature, corporate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So many chapters, <laughs> so, so many, many chapters, right? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. So one of the things that I read, I don't know if I actually have it written down here, but it, I, I think it was something about had you started this fund, I, I think it might have been 10 years ago, it would have way outperformed the S&P 500, right? So, yeah. So what you are asking about is what when we created the portfolio, we took it and we back tested it. We said, okay, well, what if we would have bought this? What if we would have bought these stocks 10 years ago? And when we back tested it, it showed we we caught 94% of the upside of the market, but only 40% of the downside of the market. Wow. Which gave it like a really significant year over year, like much higher advantage, better perform, better performance than the benchmark. I caveat that. I don't want to like, I don't want to over oversell that though, because mm-hmm. it's way too, like we can't know if these same companies had those same diversity metrics 10 years ago. Right. So if it was a company that like somewhere within that 10 years, there was like a major leadership change where they did decide diversity is something we want to invest in, you know, it's too, which also could be a leading indicator, right? That like, because they decided they made that decision somewhere along the way that that's what created like the kind of outperformance, but yeah, back testing looks good. So mm-hmm. we're excited about it, but like the big caveat with it is there's just way too many variables to be able to say with confidence, it's because of the diversity factor. Right. Right. But it, it almost supports the point though, that these companies that you've selected are better companies overall. So yep. even if, turning the clock back 10 years, even if they they weren't as diverse as they are today, there was something that was inherent in them that they were a good company. They were setting themselves up for success. And, and even if they changed their policies recently, 
it's a company that's open to change and and yep. recognition that you know diversity of thought or gender or you know ethnicity that it matters yeah yeah i love it and i love i love that maybe it's a leading indicator too right so if a company isn't necessarily here or like do, doesn't necessarily fit the criteria yet but if they move in that direction, right. perhaps they'll recognize that they can become a better performing company. Right. Let's hope for that. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. And so more. <laughs> what, exactly. So, okay. So we are now to the giving with joy and then spending, which I can talk about spending all day long. <laughs> So giving with joy. <laughs> yeah. I The thing about giving, at least for me, I, I think there's a couple strategies you can do with giving that are good from, from like a tax planning standpoint. A lot of people don't know of a vehicle called a donor advised fund. Hmm. And a donor advised fund is, is an opportunity for normal people, you know, not big institutional, like, you know, 1% wealthy people. It's an opportunity for anybody to kind of set up their own private foundation. So where it works really well is like, let's say you have a rental property and you sell your rental property this year. And because of that sale, you have a large tax liability. Mm -hmm. You have to pay a capital gain tax on it. If you wanted to use some of that gain or like some of your income, if you want to offset some of that gain through philanthropy, and let's say you're already like donating $1,000 a year or you know, whatever the amount is, what you could do is say, oh, well, I'm going to take my next five years, my next you know $1,000 donation, but over the course of the next five years, I'm going to put it in a donor advised fund. Now, the day that you put it in that fund is the day that it's tax deductible. Hmm. So you write the check for $5,000, it's tax deductible for that tax year. And now you can take that 5,000. And if you were supporting a charity at a certain amount per month, you could sign up that same, you know, amount per month for the next five years, but just have it come out of that donor advised fund. Amazing. Yeah. I, I just want to mention that it's even knowing about things like like this, a donor advised fund, that is, I'm not trying to sell or anything, you know, like go get a financial advisor and, and hire Jen, even though that would probably be a good thing to do. But, but what I'm saying is that, you know, if you are not completely financially savvy, this is where yeah. relying on a financial advisor can help you. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree, Adrian. And I think the thing we have to give ourselves permission that like, Maybe you work with a financial advisor for a year or two and then you decide like, you know, I can like take the reins on my own now for a while or you do it for yourself for a while and then you hire an, an advisor. Like we can always yeah. change our minds too. Mm. Yes. And like as your, your circumstances change, as your situation changes, the need for an advisor and the need for a different advisor, like those things will change too. Yeah. And I, I, I love that. What is so great about that advice as well is as we change our mindset, as we earn more, as we save more, we are going to move into places that we are probably not familiar with or comfortable with. And that's where having somebody 
that you can trust is really, really important because we might, we only know what we know now. We don't know what that next step is. And we have to learn. We have to learn somehow. And like you said, like give yourself permission to not know how to use the fork when you've never seen a fork before. Right. Yep. And you might be the kind of person that like, I want to, I'm curious. I want to read all about the fork on my own. And so like do it. You might, or you might be the person that's like, I don't care about the fork. I just want to find somebody I trust and delegate. Yeah, which <laughs> and is that's a smart thing to do. Yeah. The other thing I want to say about giving is that a lot of times we do get hung up in it has to be like tax deductible gift. And I would I would say it doesn't it doesn't have to be. Let's not let the tax code wag the dog, like the tax tail wag the dog. Mm. I have several clients who set up rich auntie accounts so mm. that they they don't have kids themselves, but they have kids they love. And so they like put money in an account every month just so they can like help pay for summer camp or like take them on a special trip somewhere or something like that. Like none of that's tax deductible. But if that's how you want to use your money, Go use your it. money that way. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Uh, and that really that is, that's the power too, right? It's like, People say money can't buy happiness, but if that is going to give you joy by being able to do something for your niece or nephew that you love, then that is money that is so well spent. Yeah, agreed. And that's what it's for. The money is there to use it. Yeah, so, you can't take it with you. <laughs> exactly. So exactly. spending, my favorite topic. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it. My thing is like, you could probably talk about spending more than I talk about spending. So I would love to hear your like your your best nuggets around the spending thing. The only thing I've got is once you are saving and investing adequately. So, you know, for like a plain vanilla trajectory, which doesn't have to be your trajectory, but the like, I don't mind working. I like the kind of work I do. And I want to be able to retire at like, quote unquote, normal retirement age, somewhere between 60 and 70 years old. If that's, if that's the trajectory you want to be on, then of all of your income, somewhere between 15 and 20% of it needs to be invested in that future self. So yeah. you, you get to spend 75 uh, or 80% of it or, or 80 or 85% of it. You've got to put 15 or 20% of it into investments for that future self so that you can say one day, I'm only working because I want to and not because I have to. Yeah. So that's kind of like the first most important decision is that of all these dollars that come into my life each month, what percentage of them am I going to spend and enjoy today? And what percentage of them am I going to put aside for my future self? Right. So that you can, so that you can, spend on things or people or experiences that you love. And I, I think I think those two things have got to, you know, be hand in hand. You you definitely need all of this actually needs to work together. It's the machine, right? It's like yep. you need to earn more, you need to save, you need to invest so that you can give with joy. And you know, if I could be so bold as to modify, I would even say spend with joy. Right. Yes. Like if you come totally to right, you come to this place that you're like, I I earned it, I saved it, I invested yep. it, I was smart, I I did this, and I really want XYZ or really want to go to blah 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 and stay yep. in a nice hotel, then spend that with joy and, and embrace that. Don't be 
worried about like, oh my God, that costs, you know, $5 more than I wanted to, to spend. Just lean into it. It's okay. If you know how to sort of operate this system, that $5 is meaningless. Bestie. Right? We're on the same. We're exactly. <laughs> on the same. You know that Utor, Utor is Latin for to use, to employ, and to enjoy. Mm. <laughs> so, yes, I'm 100% with you. If you're, once you have those like big decisions laid out, you spend unapologetically. You, yes, apo- yes. you apologize to no one. You spend yeah. exactly how you want to. Yeah. And Gosh, for some yeah. people, we get caught up in the budgeting thing. Like there's no right answer for budgeting, right? For some people, if you're like me and you're more introverted and like you love to be at home and I love to like cuddle up at home and read a book. If I like didn't have to be out into the world more than once a week, like I'd be all about it. So like <laughs> I have to love my house. But there are some people who like, they would rather never be at home and like being out and about and with people and in crowds is like their jam. Yeah. So yeah. they could live in like a tiny bedroom somewhere. They're like, I don't care. The only thing I do is sleep there and spend the rest of their money out gallivanting all over the world. <laughs> then that's fine too. <laughs> exactly. And, th- and that, that goes back to like, you know, know yourself, honor yourself, whatever it is that makes you happy. Like be super duper clear about that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is so good. I, I, all right. All of my guests that I've ever had on the show, I've loved every single one of you. <laughs> but I think I found a winner. <laughs> I, I will receive with oh, honor. <laughs> gosh, I, I have adored speaking with you. And I, 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 this is the, this is literally the first conversation that we have had. And I just want to have more, more, more. So that okay. is going to be on the horizon. Jen, just thank you so much for sharing your absolutely incredible wisdom and in, in such a, a succinct, thoughtful, digestible way. I know that I have taken so much away from this conversation and I know that the audience is going to take so much away from this as well. How can people get in touch with you? First, I agree. I have really enjoyed this conversation. You are my people. So I'm happy. Um, I'm happy it's mutual. Uh, to get a hold of me, so go to utorwealth.com, U-T-O-R-W-E-A-L-T-H, utorwealth.com. And when you go there, you can find my phone number, my email address. But the best thing to do is in the top right corner, there's a little book now button. And I will talk to anybody for 20 minutes for a 20 minute fit call. It doesn't like wherever you are in your financial journey, it doesn't matter. If I'm not the right fit for you, I'm going to be the first person to tell you But at the very least, in a 20-minute phone call, I can be like, focus on this one thing and here's some resources for it. Amazing. Thank you so, so much. And we'll put all those links in the show notes. And you also mentioned a book, an e-book on how to, or a workbook on how to find a financial advisor. Questions will include all of it. And just thank you so much. I can't wait to have you back on the show again. And uh, I will talk to you soon. Oh, thank you so much, Adrian. And I'm like so appreciative of the work you're doing. Like we're all doing it together. Thank you.
is the She Leads Podcast Network.